Blog Talk Radio. If you're a fan of the team, is equal parts heartening and terrifying. Welcome to another edition of the Fantasy Football Feeding Frenzy. I am your host, Gary Davenport. We are one day out from the beginning of the 2017 NFL Draft in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Tonight's show is all about draft mania. As always, I am joined by my co-host, Todd Lasky. What's going on, Todd? Well, not too much, though. It sounds like the head brass in Cleveland says that they already know who they're taking with that number one pick. They're just not telling. So they're teasing us just a little bit. But other than that, I'm looking very forward to tomorrow night. Uh, As always, I love draft night. Uh, I enter several contests every year. And uh, some years I do fairly well. uh, And then there's some years, well, not so much. But uh, I just got done doing a draft. Uh, a mock draft, and we'll see how I do with that. Right now, I think I see three trades happening tomorrow night. We will see if that uh, goes forward as I think, but who knows? Anything can happen at draft night. We are also joined this week by a special guest, a man with all the draft knowledge of Mel Kuyper but better hair, Dan Collins. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I really appreciate the compliment, number one. And uh, number two, I'm just really excited to just be able to talk all this draft mania with you guys as we are leading up to a crazy night tomorrow night. Well, let's jump right in. Draft predictions, bust out the crystal balls, the tea leaves, the chicken bones, whatever you use for your prognostication personally. I prefer to use entire legs of chicken because, you know, depending on where you did it, those can be delicious. We'll start off with where the festivities will start off in Philadelphia. I have a feeling we're going to be unanimous on this first one. I hope so as a Browns fan because if it's anyone except this player, I'm probably going to sob a little and swear a lot. We'll go to you first, Dan. Who will be the number one overall pick in the 2017 NFL draft? Tim Tebow. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, I really think when it's all said and done, um, it, it's going to be Miles Garrett. I think when when it really comes down to the meat and potatoes of it, you can't pass on the best pure pass rusher we've seen since Von Miller. I mean, the dude is a freak and should be easy to write his name on the card and walk it to the podium. But we are talking about the Cleveland Browns. So, I mean, anything is truly possible. Any argument, Todd? No, I mean, you heard me. I made that prediction close to half a year ago on this show. I'm sticking by it. Uh, back then, I thought Miles Garrett was the class of this field, and I still believe so. Uh, Dan made that comment about Von Miller. Uh, I can also see a little bit of a, uh, a guy that was drafted number one a couple of years ago in Javadine Clowney, though he's had some injury issues. But if you take away his injury issues and the way he performed last year, I believe, I believe that that leaves no doubt who the number one pick should be. Yeah, and I think there's a little bit of clowny in Garrett in the, the, the naysayers. I know Warren Sapp just completely threw Garrett under the bus the other day. It, it, 
they talk about, well, if he's so talented and so gifted, why did he not dominate games more this past season at Texas a and yada, yada, yada. But I agree with you guys. The athletic gifts, I mean, when you – it's hard to get a large group of draftniks to agree on anything. But, I mean, the overwhelming majority believes that Miles Garrett is the number one overall pick. And if the Browns blow this and take a quarterback at one dot, it the saddest person in America will be me and the happiest person in America. We will see John Lynch, new general manager for San Francisco 49, run the fastest 40 time of his life racing to the podium to turn in Miles Garrett as the second overall pick because he would be perfect for the 49ers as that Leo pass rusher in that new four-man. And the Browns are going to a four-man front this year too, so they need – a defensive end that they can put opposite Emmanuel Ogba. And you take Garrett and Ogba and pair those two guys together. You've got a pair of bookend pass rushers that you will have under control. You'll have you got three more years with Ogba. You have five years with Garrett. You can set it and forget it. You can address other areas of your team with faith in the knowledge that that's set. And that's I pray that. I don't. I think the Browns will take Garrett. I don't think, even the Browns, I don't believe are that dumb. But I can't say that I don't have a certain measure of reluctance, if only because this marks the fourth time since 2012 that the Cleveland Browns have had multiple first round picks. And if you look at the six selections that they made these past three times, it's abjectly horrifying. The six picks, six, six whips. I mean, they. It's you would be sent down to the minors if you swung at pitches like that in baseball. That's it's just. So I, until they turn that card in, as Garrett's name on it, I'm it, my blood pressure is going to spike a little bit at eight o'clock tomorrow. I'm not going to lie. Well, and you know what, Gary? You know, Gary. You know, you heard us laughing. Part of that was laughing at the Cleveland Browns. But believe it or not, part of that was actually laughing at you. Because oh, you are a Cleveland we'll Browns you, fan. We'll go to you first with this one, Todd. <laughs> Who do you think will be the biggest steal of round one? Best value. Which guy is going to get picked in round one possibly a little bit later in the round that we're going to look back a few years from now and say, why did that guy not go high? Well, you know, like I said, I just got done doing my my latest mock draft uh, there's some issues with some certain players that are causing some to go down because of late-breaking news slash incidents that occurred, and others are jumping up the board a little bit. Uh, I believe that you're going to find some talent very late in round one that some teams are going to be just ecstatic for. Um, I see Seattle possibly getting Cam Robinson at, at number 26, and they need a lot of help at the offensive line. I think if he falls that far, I think that's just a tremendous value, uh, especially uh, with the way they they try and move the ball on offense and the way they struggled with protecting the quarterback. I I, I think that possibly prevents the best value in round one. How about you, Dan? Boy, I hope Seattle would jump on that opportunity to get an offensive lineman to actually protect Russell Wilson's body. Um, I hope that would be the case. I mean, I think about, too, that – uh, two very different types of draft process scenarios. You have a guy in Reuben Foster who's a top five pick early part of this draft process, and then things just start to slowly go downhill for him. 
And I think he's going to walk into the league with a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, ready to prove people wrong that you should not have passed on me early in the draft. And he could just be an absolute stud on the inside of a defense for many, many years. And I think another one you have, you have to talk about uh, is Christian McCaffrey. You talk about a guy that just kind of was in the background at the beginning of this process and has really jumped out because the NFL is full of, full of trying to open up mismatches. And you get a guy that can just fly out of the backfield and check downs or even play slot receiver. Um, you're talking about a guy who's always going to be mismatched against a safety or a linebacker, and that could pay some big dividends for some NFL offenses. I went with a guy that I think is going to fall a little bit just because of the position he plays, or at least the position he's projected to play at the NFL level. Forrest Lamp, Western Kentucky, was a tackle for the Hilltoppers. Most people think he's going to kick inside the guard at the NFL level, and teams just don't want to invest a high draft pick in a guard. So I think we're going to see – I think it's pretty much a given Lamp's going to fall outside the top 20 picks. I don't think it would be a shock to see him fall outside the top 25. And I actually projected him going to the Atlanta Falcons with the 31st overall pick. That would be a great pick. for the. I, of all the offensive linemen I've watched tape of this draft season, and I know teams want tackles, but this year the best overall offensive line prospect, in my opinion, just happens to be a guard. I know he's been compared to Zach Martin quite a bit. And I think that's right around – that might actually be the spot that Zach Martin went was 31st overall. But if Atlanta does wind up selecting Lance in that spot, that's a guy who's going to be a Pro Bowl guard by probably his third NFL season, if not sooner. And, yeah, it's not a sexy position, but if you want to – for a Dallas team – I mean, for a Falcons team that doesn't have a ton of needs – stabilizing that offensive line a little bit is one of them. So you want to get back to that Super Bowl, run that ball with Tevin Coleman and Devon Freeman, that's how you get it done. Well, uh, man, that, is exact, that is exactly where I put, slotted him in my mock draft. I've got him going to Atlanta 31. I think we go sooner, fellas. He may well. I, he should, <laughs> in all honesty. Should. I mean, I think – He's an excellent prospect. It's guards. I mean, we just saw with Kevin Zeitler in Cincinnati, they just didn't want to pay him. So people undervalued. The guard position is one of the most undervalued in the NFL. We were discussing that we'd win a value pick. Which guy do you think is going to go too early in round one, Dan? Which guy is going to be the biggest reach of the first round? I mean, there has been a ton of rumors here lately that, I mean, Deshaun Kaiser could sneak into the end of the first round. I mean, especially he's been kind of connected with, you know, Pittsburgh down there at 30. And I think that's – I don't know if that's a good situation um, because you watch the Sean Kaiser play and, you know, you watch him on tape and you're thinking, all right, this guy's a late second, early third type of developmental quarterback for a team. He reminds me a lot of uh, former Notre Dame quarterback Jimmy Clausen. Um, He's just very skittish in the pocket doesn't have great pocket awareness, holds on to the ball too much. And a lot of that stuff you feel like you can coach, but that is a mental mindset of when they're in the pocket. They feel like they can make big plays all the time, and then they get crushed. And a lot of, I mean, Big Ben has made a big living on it, so maybe they think that he could be the next Big Ben with some coaching. I'm just a little concerned that I, I don't see the necessarily the, the high ceiling that most other scouts may see in Kaiser. 
Mine is quarterback, too. With all the talk of the Cleveland Browns moving up in the first round after they take Garrett, the prevailing wisdom seems to be at this point that the Browns have their heart set on moving up from 12 to – I have them moving up to 5 because the Titans have apparently – there were reports today that they have spoken to teams about trading that fifth overall pick, moving back, stockpiling even more picks, which seems to be something they enjoy doing over these past couple of years. The Browns want Mr. Trubisky out of North Carolina, and I'm just – I don't see it. I'm, I'll be honest, I just don't – I didn't see Jared Goff or Carson Wentz being worth selling your souls last year, but the Rams and the Eagles did it anyway. NFL teams, especially those teams that do not have that quote-unquote franchise quarterback, get the yips when the draft rolls around, and they talk themselves into believing that these guys are just something they're not. And, I mean, this is a quarterback who has 13 career starts and struggled in more than a few of those. I just, I do not look at, to me, if they do take Trubisky in the top ten, he's just going to be one more name on the back of that Cleveland quarterback jersey. And two years from now, we're going to be right back in this spot talking about which, quote, unquote, franchise quarterback the Browns are going to take in the 2019 draft. So, I've, I've, I've almost resigned myself to the fact the Browns are going to take Trubisky because, you know, I can't have, too many nice things. They'll let me have Garrett and then kind of crush me. Like, uh, I think it was 2007. The Browns draft Joe Thomas. I'm like, okay. Okay. It wasn't Adrian Peterson, but that's okay. Joe Thomas obviously turned out to be a phenomenal offensive tackle. And then later in that round, I'm watching the first round. I hear that they've traded up into the first round. They're going to make a second pick. And I knew at that moment that I was doomed. And it turned out to be Brady Quinn, so I was right. I was too. Todd, who's your biggest reach around one? Oh, no, actually, uh, that's it. Uh, you guys hit it right on the head. Uh, I actually have Cleveland trading up to number six with the Jets because I think the Jets want to move down as well. Uh, I, I think Tennessee is throwing a little snowball out there. I think they stay at five because they see somebody that's going to fit their needs right away at cornerback with Marcus Lattimore, whereas the Jets at number six, I don't see that they see anybody of that value at that point, so they trade down, uh, and they're going to trade with Cleveland, and they can move down a little bit and then find somebody closer to their needs at pick number 12. But I see, again, like what you just said with uh, Trubisky going up that high, I don't think that he's worth the value for a lot of the same reasons you said. He started one year, only one year, and that's against some decent defenses, but some not so decent defenses. ACC doesn't is not known for a great defensive uh, collegiate background. Uh, I, I think the NFL, especially the AFC North, is going to present a whole other side of situations that he has not seen before. And I think that that is not the, the kind of uh, upbringing you want to have, have him brought up with. I, I I just don't see it happening. I think. Cleveland is much more advised to be taking Watson instead of Trubisky. Yeah, me too, but they won't. Which means they won't, because that would make too much sense. These next couple categories, it's awfully, it's nigh impossible to predict who's going to be the biggest steal and the biggest bust of, a, of the 260-something-odd or something like that picks in a draft before the draft. But we're going to do it anyway, because tis the season to make predictions that turn out to be wrong. So, Dan, who is going to be the biggest steal of the 2017 NFL draft? 
Whew, I mean, as you, as you just mentioned, it's it's very difficult to kind of pinpoint that kind of situation. Uh, but I know that we'll uh, we'll continue to talk about offense in this podcast. So I'll throw out a couple uh, defensive guys uh, in a couple of different positions just uh, real quick here. Um, I really like Jordan Willis, uh, defensive end out of Kansas State. I think if he goes uh, late first, early second, I think he's very undervalued to what he brings to the locker room. I mean, I'm a huge guy on uh, on players that can bring intangibles to the locker room, could create a competitive atmosphere. Um, to the roster. And I think T.J. Watt from Wisconsin also does that kind of um, work um, to to the locker room. And he's more explosive than what you really think. Uh, great leadership, work ethic. I mean, linebackers-wise, I really like McMillan from Ohio State. I think he has a high football IQ. can really rack up the tackles. Um, I think he gets underestimated a little bit about his ability to play in coverage, but I think he could do really well. I mean, if if defense is really focused on zone coverage from him in the middle layer of their defense, uh, he plays very well in space. So I think that could be a pretty easy adjustment for him. And I look at the secondary, I'm a little higher on uh, Cordrea Tankersley than most. Most people kind of view him as a mid round. I think you could easily uh, steal him from there and be really happy with that. I mean, kid plays a mean attitude um, and doesn't back down from top tier talent when he's, when he's played the last couple of years at Clemson. Um, and then I, I Desmond King from Iowa started off as a cornerback. Kind of most people kind of view him more as a free safety because of his just lack of speed and length. But his natural instincts, I mean, I think that could just easily translate to the NFL and give him some coaching and technique work of what the free safety position's about in the NFL. And I think he's a pretty solid starter that you can get in the mid-rounds. So, I mean, those are the types of guys that I see on the defensive side of the ball that you could get excited about picking in the mid-rounds and uh, get some quality starters from there. Xavier Woods out of uh, Louisiana Tech. He's another safety. I think he's going to outplay his draft spot. Got the wheels. He's got that versatility that I think NFL teams are really looking for now, and that he can play up and run support and play up by the line of scrimmage. But he's got the wheels to play center field too. He just needs he needs some polish. He needs some coaching. He needs a little technique improvement. You know, there are things you can coach and things you can't. Todd, who's your biggest steal of the draft? Well, you know, there's been a lot of names that are floating out there from some smaller schools, and, you know, they deserve a lot more credit or attention than what they're getting right now. But I've seen this guy play in the past, and I've heard his name brought up quite a few times. Tanel Passina out of uh, Villanova. It looks like he's got all the fundamentals needed to succeed at the next level. He's got nice size. He's got nice speed. Uh, I I think he can create a big-time pass rush presence uh, on a defensive end spot that is widely uh, played and recognized in the NFL. I think he's going to provide a lot of pressure on the quarterback. I think he's a sleeper that you're going to find much later in the draft that is going to really surprise some people. All right. I actually, you guys went much deeper than I did. I just went with a little quarterback action. I think Davis Webb out of Cal, I think three years from now, <clears throat> kind of similar to Derek Carr, which I'm not saying he's going to turn into Derek Carr. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying Davis Webb is a sure thing, but none of the quarterbacks in this year's class are a sure thing. I can't definitively say Davis Webb is the best quarterback prospect in this draft, but I can't definitively say that he's not either. There just There is no can't miss. Everyone agrees number one guy. And if I can get a guy who has close to the same chance of NFL success at pick 35 as I can at pick 5, 
then why am I burning a top five pick on once again Mitchell Trubisky? I don't. Maybe it's all just spans. Maybe it all just radiates for my disdain for the idea of grabbing a top five pick on Mitchell Trubisky. But I, I think, and I'm Webb seems to be gathering some steam over the past few days. Although once again, that could just be double talk. But we'll see tomorrow. In the, like quarterbacks, teams get the yips. So I think we're going to see more quarterbacks go in the first round than a lot of people think. Like Dan mentioned, there are going to be teams at the back of that first round that are going to try really hard to talk themselves into drafting Deshaun Kaiser, and his accuracy is, it's yeah, not great. I mean, he can throw it really, really hard. He might not have much control over where it's going, but throw it really, really hard. Conversely, Mr. Collins, who is going to be, and I hate to label a young player with this right off the gate, who's going to be the biggest bust, the guaranteed flop of 2017, like you could accurately predict something like that right now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I really feel like unless this player goes to a team like the New England Patriots that just have the special ability to use your specific skill set to their benefit – I don't know if Jabril Peppers will be a solid NFL player. I really struggle with it. I mean, he's he's not very good in coverage. So playing safety will be very difficult for him. I feel like if he has to play, I mean, obviously he's going to play more of a strong safety role. But, I mean, if teams see him line up on the tight end, I mean, he's going to get dominated in a mismatch. Big tight ends that can overpower him. He may have speed, but he just can't stick with guys. You watch his tape against Ohio State. He gets burnt a ton against Marcus Ball, like they're almost backup tight end in a way. And, I mean, he was – he just dominated him, and he even had like a sprained ankle that game. I don't think he's big enough to play linebacker either, and he would get overwhelmed facing offensive linemen on a consistent basis. I mean, he's a great athlete, but he'll always be on the wrong end of a mismatch in the NFL against, you know, NFL coordinators that know how to create mismatches against a player like Peppers. I keep seeing him off to Pittsburgh, and I just think that would be a disaster. I mean, it's not bad enough that this is a kid who's most likely going to be learning a new position, and people wonder, like you said, exactly where he sits in. You stick him in Pittsburgh, and it's going to be nothing but nonstop comparisons to a guy that's going to be a first ballot Hall of Fame. And if he doesn't turn into Troy Palomalu right off the get, it ain't going to take long for the grumbling to start. The Steelers have had phenomenal success in the draft in recent years. But I, I just don't know if I see Pepper. The Steelers, it seems like every year there's a player who drops to Pittsburgh who really has no business being taken that late in the first round, and it just makes me nuts. So I'm waiting. I think the ESPN mock draft last night, they had Corey Davis going to Pittsburgh, and I'm sitting there just cussing at the TV, and I'm like, you know what? That would, I hate the Steelers. I truly, truly do. Because every year that's some talented young player just falls into their lap at because the, they're always picking at the back end of the round because they go to the playoffs every year, which is another reason as a Browns fan, I don't like that. Mr. Lapsky, the bust of the 2017 draft. Well, you know, as I said, I just got done mocking, and I actually, a, a team like Pittsburgh, very much so, uh, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys, who I've hated ever since the Hail Mary Miracle uh, from Roger Staubach to Drew Pearson way back when, uh, just have not liked the Cowboys whatsoever, but every year they seem to get somebody to fall for them. This year I think it happens again, but I think it's going to bite them big time in the backside because I don't see him as a great fit in this offense. 
John Ross, wide receiver from Washington. He's very light. He's under 200 pounds. He, they don't play a lot of defense out in the, in, in the Pac-12. I think he's going to get uh, beaten up an awful lot, especially in, in the physical NFC East, where he's going to be facing a lot of bumps right off the line. And with his lack of size and strength, I think he's going to be beaten up and chewed up at the line of scrimmage and not be, being able to get off the line to go down the field and utilize his speed like they hope he can. How dare you speak ill of JR4.22? <laughs> trying to get that nickname to stay. You know, Ross is a guy. Uh, Ross could be great or he could be. I, I think he's one of those guys. I think Peppers is a similar case where they're either going to be great or awful. I don't know that there's really a middle ground where they could be a decent player but nothing special. They're going to be a pro bowler or three years from now we're going to be like, why did they draft that guy in round one? It's a, a feast or famine risk reward type of deal. It's going to be interesting to see where both those young men wind up. I'm not going to give a big, long speech about my biggest bust of the 2017 draft because I feel like I've already piled on the kid enough, and we're only 15, 20 minutes into the show. It's Mitch Trubisky. Ha-ha, yeah. Oh, you got a hometown kid who's probably going to be a top 10 pick for a team that's desperate, beyond desperate, for a decent quarter, but it hasn't had a serviceable, an above serviceable and that's if you think Kelly Holcomb is serviceable, the quarterback since Bernie Kosar in the late 80s, it's been 30 years since they had a decent quarterback. So in the beginning, it will all be great. In the beginning, it will all be great stories about the hometown kid, and la, 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 la. And then it's going to start to sink in that he's really not that good. And then the fans are going to turn on him at some point, and it's just going to get ugly. I, I want to be wrong about this, folks. I really do. I love my stupid loser Cleveland Browns. I really do. But I just I don't see it. I wish, please take Deshaun Watson, but they won't. Why not? I just, can, can we Cleveland fans have one nice thing? And you take us to the World Series last year and yank it out from underneath us at the very end. And, yeah, I know the Cavs, but I really don't like basketball. Okay, I'm going to stop grumbling. <laughs> Is there any disagreement among the three of us that Trubisky's going to be the first quarterback off the board? Uh, I no. think he's the first one off the board. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I don't know that he should be, but I, as all indications are he's going to be. I do think we're going to see Watson or Mahomes or one of those kids go a little bit earlier than I'm seeing in a lot of the mock drafts. The idea of, like, one quarterback being taken in the top half of the first round, that's just not going to happen. We're going to see teams. Once those quarterbacks start to fall a little bit, you're going to see some team, whether it's Houston, or Houston is actually one that really stands out to me, that's going to want to move up, you know, eight, ten spots, especially if they think they can get the guy they want. I know I think last night the ESPN mock, they had Deshaun Watson falling all the way to 32 to New Orleans, which would be a phenomenal pick for the Saints. And, you know, it would probably be a great thing for Watson. He could spend a year or two learning from Drew Brees. There'd be no rush to get him on the field. But I think he'll go earlier than that, too. I, just, I think there's going to be at least four quarterbacks taken around one, and maybe I wouldn't be stunned if there were five because, because quarterbacks. Yeah. Speaking of those quarterbacks – I'm sorry. Which, go ahead. 
snowballed from what you just said. That's exactly why I've got my trades happening in the first round is right where you're talking about. I got trades happening at 12, 13, and 14 because of the quarterback situation. Yeah, it's, it's going. I, that's the sort of thing I would just about bet the rent on. They're going to be teams. If teams move up, that's why teams move up nine times out of ten is to get a quarterback. Most of the first-round trades we saw last year, I think five of the seven involved a quarterback. Mr. Collins, who do you believe is the best value at the quarterback position this year? I, I see two different scenarios. I'll give you a situational kind of a steal of the draft, and then I'll give you more of like a true steal, if that makes sense. Um, I really think if Patrick Mahomes ends up with either Bruce Arians in Arizona or Andy Reid in Kansas City, that may be, when we look back of it, the quarterback steal of the draft. His physical tools, his gamer attitude, and just his big playability combined with a quarterback development resumes of those two head coaches would create a very good quarterback in Mahomes. If Mahomes ends up in a bad situation, um, I, I, I really like Josh Dobbs from Tennessee. I mean, he's incredibly high normal IQ. I mean, his, uh, his major was like some kind of engineering of some sort. And, I mean, he's just an impressive engineering. IQ. That's insane. Um, he, he showed he's a competitor and has shown flashes of being able to just do things necessary of an NFL quarterback on tape. In the right situation of being a backup behind a proven starter for a year or two, as you could say with most quarterbacks in this class, Dobbs can be the next franchise QB for a team. I mean, I see teams like the Los Angeles Chargers behind Rivers, Pittsburgh behind Roethlisberger, New Orleans behind Breeze, uh, the Giants behind Eli. And, I mean, and obviously Arizona and Kansas City is just ideal situations for a guy like Josh Dobbs. I love Dobbs as a day three kid. I, uh, if there's – yeah, everyone, especially with the success that Dak Prescott was able to have in Dallas last year, of course, everyone, that's what everyone wants to know this year is who's the next Dak Prescott. And I think if you're talking a day three quarterback, Dobbs would be right toward the top of my list. Who's your best value at the quarterback position, Mr. Lapsky? Well, it's actually quite funny because Dan just touched on him, and I've got Arizona trading up in the first round to get Mahomes. Uh, I think the trade up to uh, uh, pick him up, they've got all kinds of speed on the outside with John Brown, with uh, Jerron Brown, with J.J. Nelson. They still have Larry in the mix. And we know Carson Palmer gets hurt about every three or four weeks. Uh, he's not the, the most stable of quarterbacks. But I think the love of his arm, with what you said with Bruce Arians, with the speed that they've got on the outside at Arizona, I think that's a match made in heaven for – Mahomes to go there and to be the successor and succeed in Arizona. Conversely, who is the quarterback that you really don't want any part of in this year's draft, Mr. Collins? <laughs> uh, I mean, I kind of – I'll reiterate a little bit from Deshaun Kaiser from earlier. I just think in a few years, I think we'll just be disappointed. Uh, I think we'll be very disappointed that they, you know, wasted maybe a high pick on him, you know, traded back into the first or took him in the late first. Um, I mean, she's the physical skill set that this quarterback has. Great arm. Uh, I mean, but it takes a lot of hope to hope that you can fix this mental aspect of the game. He actually reminds me a lot of Blaine Gabbert when he was drafted originally by Jacksonville. If you watched him in Jacksonville, that guy – that guy was scared in the pocket. I mean, and then he just got crushed all the time. 
I mean, in his early days, I mean, he just lacked pocket presence. Um, and I, I think it's just hard to coach that kind of mentality out of a kid that anytime he steps into an NFL type of speed and progressions that you have to have, and this guy struggled with those things in college. And the NFL game is much faster, and you have to be much smarter. So I think, I mean, that could be a big-time issue. What a mean thing to say, the Blaine Gabbert kiss of death player call. <laughs> oh. oh, God, who's your reach quarterback? Yeah, well, it, it, it's the same person. And, uh, you know, it seems like we're really picking on a few guys, either positive or negative. But the NFL seemed to fall in love with Notre Dame quarterbacks ever since they had a couple great ones in a row in Joe Theismann and Joe Montana from way back when. But since then, it's been a very disappointing succession of quarterbacks coming out of Notre Dame. And I think this is just yet another example that we're going to see tomorrow night or maybe he falls in a day two. But I think, as you guys are saying, he's a late first-round pick. I think it's a reach considering – he was a he had a losing record at Notre Dame, all right. And as Dan just said, the speed of the NFL is so much faster. He's he's not going to know what's going to hit him. Uh, he's going to be facing it from all different sides, all different angles. He's going to react poorly, and just like at Notre Dame, he's not going to find a lot of success. I just don't see that he's worth a high round pick. You get no argument for me. I'm not on the Kaiser bandwagon either. I already, obviously, my reach would be Trubisky because I just keep going back to the well. So far as day three, day three sleepers, we'll speed this up a little bit so we get the other positions. And I know Dan mentioned Josh Doss. Chad Kelly is another guy that stands out there. I mean, I really don't know what to make of Chad Kelly. Obviously, there have been some off-the-field decisions that were, shall we say, not optimal. And there are times where there's been some on-the-field decisions that were not optimal either. There are also times where on the field he looked like the best prospect in this year's class quarterback position. And it wasn't that long ago that we were talking about Chad Kelly as potentially one of the best quarterback prospects in this year's class. I think a lot with him is going to have to do with landing in the right spot with the right coaching staff, giving him some time to develop. But I think there's potential there. I don't know that that potential is ever going to be realized. You know, when you're drafting a guy in the fourth, fifth, sixth round, I mean, what are the odds it's going to pan out for you? Anyway, at the running back position, I take it there's no dissension that Leonard Fournette is going to be the first guy off the board? No, there's not. (laughs) Okay, Todd, who is your second back off the board? Well, uh, th- there's an awful lot of steam uh, being pushed on the backside of uh, Mr. Christian McCaffrey. Uh, um, as of now, I believe he's going to go as high as number eight. Um, I, I, I personally don't see it, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But I think there's so many people just hit the board that. In this case, Carolina is going to feel pressured to find the replacement for Mr. Stewart at the running back position and to try and help out Cam Newton, and I think that's why they chose they choose McCaffrey at number eight. You know, I think McCaffrey could be a good fit for Carolina at eight. It's, it's, I'm not saying necessarily that I would make Christian McCaffrey a top-ten pick, although he certainly seems to have gathered a lot of steam. But given how much of the Panthers' offense is run out of shotgun or the pistol or zone read, or I think – McCaffrey's versatility 
would play well to that particular scheme as opposed to, say, an offense where you're using him a little more conventionally. And I think that's going to be the key with Christian McCaffrey in the NFL is you want to play to his strengths. You want to take advantage of the things he does well. Although I think that too much is made of his, quote-unquote, inability to pick up yards between the tackles. He averaged like 6.3 yards a carry last year at Stanford. He must have run between the tackles once or twice. So I – and that's nothing against Dalvin Cook. I, I think he'll probably go inside the top 20 or so. I see him mocked at Tampa a lot. And I think he's talented. I just think some of Cook's red flags have kind of given McCaffrey a bit of an edge. I agree with you that McCaffrey will be the second back off the board. Mr. Collins, do you make it unanimous? I would agree. I, I definitely think it's unanimous. I, I do want to kind of throw out this idea about Carolina ACL. I do think that Carolina kind of, you know, does its own thing. You think about the last couple of years, they've drafted guys that should have been drafted like the next round, but yet they've made them work. Last year they drafted Vernon Butler, who a lot of people thought maybe would be a late or a, a day two pick, but they pricked him in the last part of the first round. And then they picked James Bradbury, some cornerback from Stanford, in the second round. And then the year before, in 2015, they took Shaq Thompson. And they didn't really need a linebacker at the time. So I feel like a lot of times Carolina just kind of goes out and goes, you know what, this is what you guys think. I'm going to do whatever we want to do. Um, but, I mean, Christian McCaffrey, I mean, the kind of versatility he shows, I mean, that is just something that offensive coordinators just have to be salivating over, what he can do for an offense. Um, and just how exciting that would be for a team like, you know, even if Carolina did take him at eight, or, I mean, I should look at, like, Philadelphia at 14 – to just have that kind of, of talent for, you know, for young Carson Wentz to have coming out of the backfield. Oh, no argument. I think, that, you know, Doug Peterson so much of the reason that he's a head coach at the professional level is because of the success he was able to have as an offensive coordinator in Kansas City, and a lot of that was predicated on having a versatile running back like a Jamal Charles or a Spencer where you know, a guy that not only can run the ball – but you can line him up in different spots, and he can be a dangerous pass catcher. And it's not going to hurt Carson Wentz any, especially after they took a blowtorch to the wide receiver core. To also, and I think everyone expects the Eagles to add a running back early, you know, in one of those first three rounds, one of the first two days of the draft, because I don't think anyone really thinks Ryan Matthews is going to even be on that team to begin the season, he's looking like the poster child for the post-June 1 cut, which must be great for him, just sitting there waiting for that phone call. Every time the phone rings, he jumps. Turns out it's just a pizza guy calling to confirm his order. <laughs> Dan, steal of the draft in the backfield, that position which fantasy owners love oh so much. Uh, I really like Brian Hill from Wyoming. I mean, he's one of the few three-down running backs in this draft class that could be effective between the tackles and in the passing game. Um, I mean, you see such a depth in this running back draft class, but Hill might be one of just a few, as a handful, that can start as a rookie and be able to give you many different things um, in the running game or the passing game. I think he may be the running back that will hold the most value to where he's drafted compared to other running backs in this draft. So the the Jordan Howard of 2017, so to speak. Mr. Lasky, who you got? 
Uh, actually, ironically, uh, I'm going to be stepping very close to that Wyoming area, and I'm choosing another bag from out in, in the west, and that's Jamal Williams out of BYU. He's another guy that's a three-down back. He's projected to be in a fourth or fifth-round pick, and he's got all the tools to both run the ball and catch the ball out of the backfield to be very effective at the next level. And I believe he's being very underrated right now. I think he can step in very much like what we saw last year with Howard and be an effective back immediately at the next level. I went with Kareem Hunt out of Toledo. We'll probably be drafted a little bit earlier than the gentleman you mentioned, but it just it speaks to this. This is a great draft for the running back position. I mean, there's easily six, eight guys who can step in. Dave, what do you look at? And they have that three-down potential. They can run between tackles. They can run off the edge. They can catch the ball. There's even some guys that can pass protect a little. I mean, this is a great year to be picking in that 8 to 10 hole in your fantasy dynasty draft nine, you're, you're still going to be able to get a guy who could contribute to your team as a rookie. So love the rookie class at running back this year. Love it. But that's not to say that we love everyone. Mr. Collins, who is the biggest reach at the running back position in 2017? Um, uh, Deontay Foreman from Texas worries me a little bit. I mean, I'll start out by saying what an incredible man – uh, just to overcome the loss of his daughter and continue to play football for her memory. Upstanding young man. I do wish him the best of success. And I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Um, the thing that concerns me a little bit is his size says he's a pounding tackle breaker. But he consistently gets taken down by arm tackles and, and trip-ups. Um, I, I don't think he's worth selecting before the third round and should be part of more of a running back committee early in his career. But I, but I think likely he gets drafted in the second and is expected to be a major factor early on in an offense, and it just doesn't have that kind of experience of maybe even, you know, helping a quarterback in the backfield on passing downs and pass protection um, and doing those types of things on a consistent basis for all three downs. Yeah, I'm, my reach is in the same conference as a guy that does, some people have talked up as a round one talent, but he's also a great eight chucklehead. If I was an NFL GM, Joe Mixon would be off my board. I just, I'm sorry. There's some things that you just don't do, and – hitting a woman so hard that you break several bones in her face. Yeah, that's one of those things. So I just, honestly, I think that he's going to be a kid that, yeah, there's, he's going to have his moments on the field, but that team is going to be waiting for that other shoe to drop constantly. And while I'm not a psychic, I think the other shoe is going to drop at some point. I mean, we just saw immensely talented linebacker Daryl Washington of the Arizona Cardinals just recently reinstated after being suspended for three years. The NFL is just not tolerating that kind of stuff anymore. They're cracking them ever since the Ray Rice incident, that sort of thing. I mean, he's going into the league with two strikes. He steps foul of the league again, and Roger Goodell is going to make an example of Joe Mixon. Some guy, I think sometimes the character stuff gets overblown, and I realize – these are kids, and kids make mistakes. But some things are just a little bit too beyond the pale for me, and that's one of them. Mr. Lapsky, who's your reach of the draft? No, I kind of hinted at it earlier. Uh, he's been flying up the draft board, and I think he's going to go at number eight. But I, I think it's too high for Christian McCaffrey to go that, to go at that spot. Number one, he's he's a little undersized. Number two, he's had over 330 touches each of the past two years. He's had a lot of use and abuse. 
I love Pac-10 football. I've been a fan of USC since the early 70s. I've watched a lot of Pac-10 games. I rooted for him big time when he was playing at Stanford. But I think at the next level, when the speed is different, when you're playing against more physical guys, bigger guys, stronger guys, I'm afraid of what that toll is going to take on his body. I fear, and I hope that this doesn't happen, but I fear that something's going to happen that's going to knock him out for, and knock him out for a while for the combination of his size and the use that he's had in the past few years. Wow, Todd going bold, raining on the Christian McCaffrey <laughs> parade. We'll go back to you, Todd. Who's your sleeper running back? Say your day three guy that we're going to look back and say, well, I mean, Jordan Howard was a day three guy. It's maybe a little bit of an under-the-radar young running back that you think is going to have some success at the NFL level. Well, you know, yeah, I already mentioned Jamal Williams. Yeah, I already mentioned Jamal Williams as one, and I, I already talked about him. But there's another guy that I absolutely love out of Pittsburgh. Uh, we touched about him a little uh-huh. bit uh, last Speaking week. Like yeah, Mr. James Conner, uh, suffering from uh, Michigan's house. How do you how do you say it? Hodgkin's lymphoma. Hodgkin's lymphoma. Yeah, uh, he's just. The, the kid looks like a Marshawn Lynch cr- uh, clone. I think he has got all the tools necessary at the next level to be that physical of a beat-down workhorse running back on first and second downs. He's not a tremendous receiver, but he's a guy that, that you can count on to rely close to the goal line or you, you've got a third and one and you need to convert. Uh, I think he's a guy that's going to surprise a lot of people and could be a great asset in a, a uh, uh, committee-type system. And when he's given the opportunity to shine alone, I think he can do that. I think he's got all the tools. He's got a heart of gold. He, his heart is, is as big as you can get. Uh, I, I really am rooting for this guy. Yeah, me too. That's actually who I was going to mention as well. Mr. Collins. I mean, yeah, James Conn, I really like him. I think he's a great guy, and I hope he really does succeed. Uh team's going to be very happy to have him, uh, not just from a, you know, a roster depth chart running back, but also just in the locker room. And I think that'll be a great uh, great thing for him. Um, I also look at a guy from Coastal Carolina. Uh, his name's D'Angelo Henderson. Uh, he's probably my favorite running back past round five in this draft. He's only 5'7", 210, but plays with the tenacity of like a foot 240-pounder. Um, his height will make him hard to find behind the line of scrimmage, but his quickness and home run speed will make teams pay if he does find a hole and nobody's there. Uh, he could be a player like a, a Darren Sproles and just be a gadget player that can be used for a change of pace back or out of the backfield in the pass game um, and just make you pay. I mean, he's he, he'll take you on in the open field, and uh, he'll be one that will keep, uh, keep safeties uh, on their toes. Oh, now you're speaking of love me some small school kids. The smaller the school, the better. If I have to look up the school on Google to see where it is, I'm already halfway to loving the kid. Now, this next position, there's a fair amount more dissension regarding which player is actually the top prospect, which guy is going to be the first off the board. Go to you first, Dan. Who will be the first wide receiver drafted in 2017? Uh, I, I I think when it's all said and done, I think it's going to be Mike Williams uh, from Clemson. I think he gets selected inside the top 12 or so. Um, I think he'll end up with either Tennessee or Los Angeles, uh, somewhere within that range in that top 12, especially if Tennessee does trade out uh, number five, maybe to a Browns team uh, that's sitting at number 12 that wants a quarterback. 
Uh, I mean, he's elevated himself as the as the top receiver during the draft process uh, because of Corey Davis not being really able to participate in workouts and really prove where he's at athletically to NFL teams. I can't argue with you. Honestly, I have a hard time seeing Mike Williams get past Buffalo at 10. I know that the fans there might be a little skittish at the idea of another Clemson wide receiver, but – Hey, the Bills are going to pick up the fifth-year option on Sammy Watkins regardless of his injury thing. I mean, partly because Sammy Watkins is a very talented young receiver and partly because given what they pay to get Sammy Watkins, you almost have to. So, Mr. Lasky, is it unanimous? Mike Williams? Yes, it is. Uh, this is like the 14th Mike Williams wide receiver we've had in the last 10 years. <laughs> yeah, actually, it, it, it is unanimous, and it's ironic that you said Buffalo because that's exactly why I've got him slotted going at number 10. Uh, the Clemson duel uh, is going to be alive and well in Buffalo. Uh, I think it's a perfect compliment to Sammy. Sammy's got more of the speed, more of the outside presence, whereas Mike Williams is a very physical, very big guy. He can go across the middle of the field. I think if they complement each other very well. I see that as a very nice marriage in Buffalo. Yeah, I keep seeing a lot of stuff about people backing on the wide receiver class this year. I mean, it's not maybe as good as the last couple years. I think we got spoiled because those classes were just loaded. I don't know that this is necessarily a bad class. It's just not off the chain. You know, there's not a Mike Evans and an Odell Beckham and a lot of all in the same year. So, I think there's still going to be plenty to appeal to fantasy owners. You know, we just got temperature. Plus, we're getting it back in running backs. So, you know, it's the ebb and flow, the yin and the yang or something to that effect. Dan, who do you think is going to be the biggest steal at the wide receiver position? Uh, uh, I've got two for you. Uh, first one, Juju Smith-Schuster. When we started this draft draft process a year ago, he was like a top ten pick. Um, and for, you know, for some reason, I'm not really sure. I mean, he's kind of dropped well below the radar. I mean, he's a great rapper. catching the ball. Yeah, that could be. Um, and uh, he'll be a great possession receiver in the NFL. Any team that nabs him in the second round will be a, will have a very happy quarterback for a while. Uh, he may honestly be the third best wide receiver in this draft behind Mike Williams and Corey Davis. Um, if a team has, has a way uh, to get Curtis Samuels, around uh give him about eight to ten looks a game which means either you know running the ball or looking for him out of the backfield as a slot receiver he could also be a steal in this draft i mean he could be the percy harvin that percy harvin wished he could be if he wasn't injured all the time he is dynamic in the open field and makes big plays consistently he'll be a mismatch for any linebacker or safety looking to cover him out of the backfield i know he's listed at wide receiver but he's more of like a hybrid player but I think he could be a steal if used properly by a creative coordinator. And I think you just hit the nail on the head right there. I, so much of Curtis Samuel's prospects are going to depend on landing with a team where the offensive coordinator has the creativity to get him the ball in space. You know, whether it's as a running back on third downs, you know, I kind of wonder what his positional eligibility is going to be in fantasy. And if it's as a wide receiver, He's a guy that I'm probably going to be kind of aggressive in going after because, like you said, you know, if you're trying to get him eight, ten looks a game, that's a lot of touches for a wide receiver to be getting. And, you know, we saw the kind of damage 
that Ty Montgomery did last year for the Green Bay Packers in kind of that hybrid position. And I think it's just the evolution of the NFL. You know, versatility has become so important on both sides of the ball. You've got safeties who need the ability to be a slot corner, shoot up to the line of scrimmage, play some free safety, maybe even slide in and play some nickel linebacker. Conversely, on offense, you know, you want a slot wide receiver that maybe you can line up at running back or a tight end that you can line up out wide. You know, anything where you can mix up your looks and, and try to confuse the opponent is very much in vogue in the NFL. So I'm not going to argue with either one of those calls. I think giving Corey Davis's little pre-draft swoon, which has been brought upon by his, like you said, his inability to work out for teams, I just Tape don't lie. I am a huge believer in the mantra that tape don't lie. Corey Davis is still in my mind. He's still, I don't think he'll be the first receiver drafted this year, but I think he's the best wide receiver prospect in this year's class if you go solely off the tape. So if he winds up falling into the back four or five picks in the first round, I very much wish that the Cleveland Browns would trade up a few spots and snag him to add to that receiving core. I, if it, he falls outside the top 25, whatever team gets him from 26 on is going to be very, very happy that they did. Mr. Latsky, your steal, your larceny of the year at the wide receiver position. Well, it's actually kind of funny because uh, I also had Juju Smith uh, for a lot of the reasons that Dan said, but also, let's just face it, Sooner or later, one of these USC wide receivers has to break out. I mean, they, they've <laughs> had a lot of USC receivers drafted in the past. And after Keyshawn Johnson, there's been several that have been drafted and drafted Wasn't highly. Wasn't one of the Mike Williams from SC? Uh, Mike Williams, you're talking Marquise Lee, uh, you're talking Robert Woods. There's a slew of them. And they've had bits and pieces of success but none of them have really reached out and grabbed it. And I'm hoping that Juju Smith is that guy. Like I said, I've watched a lot of USC football in the past. He's got all the tools needed to succeed at that next level, the NFL level. I'm hoping he's finally the one that breaks through. It's been too long since Keyshawn Johnson to help represent USC at the wide receiver position in the NFL. Oh, here comes the Trojan homerness. So you want to go homer. <laughs> I think Noah Brown could be a I think Noah Brown could be a solid NFL wide receiver. I wish Noah Brown would have went back to Columbus for another year. I think he'd have been well served staying in school for another year. But I think the tools are there. I just think it's gonna take a little while for him to really you kinda of have to throw the numbers out the door with Ohio State wide receivers because the offense they use mm-hmm. the wide receivers just don't get a ton of looks and most of the looks they do get are hey, run forty yards that way and we'll throw the ball down the field. So, and we saw the kind of impact Mike Thomas was able to have as a rookie for the Saints this past year. So I think sometimes the Ohio State wide receivers, the stats don't do them justice. And I know Noah Brown essentially fell off the face of the earth after the four-touchdown game against Oklahoma, but still he had a four-touchdown game against Oklahoma. Four touchdowns is good, I think. That's what mm-hmm. I hear anyway. Yeah, not bad. Conversely, Miss. Conversely, Mr. Lasky, which wide receiver is getting a little too much love? Which wide receiver is going to leave egg on a general manager's face? Well, and I touched on this earlier. It's John Ross for me. I think that his physical stature or lack thereof is really going to cause him to get beat down quite a bit by the physical corners of the NFL. And I just don't see that he's going to be able to get off the front of the scrimmage very often to succeed at the next level. Uh, plus, as I said, I think Dallas drafts him. 
Dallas has an awful lot of tools on offense. They got Jason Witten in the middle for tight end. They got a huge beast on the outside of Des Bryant. Plus, they've got their best offensive line and a decent running back in Ezekiel Elliott. I just don't see that John Ross has that big of an impact this year if he gets drafted by Dallas, which I think he does. I I don't know that he'll get drafted by Dallas, but I don't know. I had John Ross, too. I mean, you got to love his speed, and that's what everyone's fallen in love with ever since he peeled off that 4-2-2. I worry about his durability. I worry about his ability to beat press coverage at the line of scrimmage at the NFL level. I just, for me, if I'm looking at the board, and Mike Williams is gone, and I've got my heart set on the wide receiver, and John Ross and Corey Davis are there, to me, that's an easy call. You take Corey Davis. I've seen Ross mocked to the Baltimore Ravens a lot at 16. He's not Brashad Perriman. He's a little bit faster than Perriman, plus he has a skill that Brashad Perriman never really demonstrated, which is the ability to catch a football, which is kind of important for wide receivers, or so I've been told. But I just I think Ross is going to be overdrafted. What about you, Dan? Um, I'll, I'll go a little later rounds, uh, just to give something different, I guess. Uh, I, Carlos Henderson got a lot of praise from some of your your main scouts that you hear on a television network. Um, that they're thinking of maybe even a late first, early second round. I mean, I watch him on tape. I see what he's doing against you know smaller competition. I I, I see him and I see like a fourth round pick. But, I mean, he's explosive with the ball in his hands, but his lack of maturity and decision-making will be detrimental in actually becoming an NFL player. I mean, don't get me wrong. If any position gets away with having diva personalities, it's the wide receiver position. Uh, I no. don't think he's good at running routes and being a natural fit as a wide receiver uh, in the NFL. Yeah, I, I'll confess I don't really understand. I, too, I've seen some draft picks who seem to be really enamored with him. And it's and I'll confess I don't watch I probably haven't watched as much tape of the offensive prospects as those scouts have or even you have Dan I will freely confess probably three quarters of my tape is spent watching defensive guys because IDT is my thing mm-hmm. but I just I don't he doesn't like you said a day three pick there's nothing that really jumps out at me about him Mr Lasky. oh wait we already went to you on this well you know what we'll go back to you for give me a day three sleeper. Give me some sleeper action. There's nothing we love more in fantasy football than the word sleeper. It's been beaten to death, raised from the dead, and then beaten to death again. So hit me with some sleepers. Okay, I got Malachi Dupree out of LSU. Uh, LSU was not known to throw the ball that much last year, uh, but LSU has produced some very effective wide receivers in the NFL. I think he's another one in a line that could step up and surprise coming out of LSU. Again, very underutilized at LSU, but I wouldn't be a bit surprised to see him uh, have a nice career in the NFL. Mr. Collins. I, I will not argue with, uh, with Todd's argument. I mean, LSU hasn't had a decent quarterback since Jamarcus Russell. And, I mean, that's that's about <laughs> as funny of a joke I'll make tonight. Um, I, I, I think oh. I'll take a player that's, that has a very similar situation, maybe not as extreme. Uh, but I look at Jamari Staples, maybe a guy that we didn't really get to notice due to his circumstances in college. A lot of people last year were focused on Lamar Jackson, um, that Staples may have been overlooked to a degree. I mean, he's 6'3", long frame, can track the ball well in the air. I mean, he could have had a more productive year if Lamar Jackson was more of an accurate passer. There's times on tape where he overthrows him by 10, 20 yards, 
And there's times where he underthrows him 10, 20 yards, and he doesn't get a chance to make the big play, and he's wide open. Um, so I think he could be more of a, a deep threat number two receiver on a team um, than a consistent weapon. But I think he likely goes in the last few rounds, and I think the team's going to be very happy to have him on the depth chart. I went with a guy that was definitely noticed in college, <clears throat> although I think a lot of scouts don't think it's going to translate to the NFL level, with D.D. Westbrook out of Oklahoma. I just, once again, if you're picking on the third day of the NFL draft, you're not picking with any, you know, that you're 80% certain this player is going to pan out. And I understand that Westbrook is 180 pounds if you fill his pockets with concrete. He's a little guy, but, man, he's certainly had no problem getting open in Oklahoma. He's the Blitnikoff, reigning Blitnikoff award winner. I just, to me, it's, it's a great low-risk flyer for an NFL team, especially if you've got some depth in your receiving court. You can bring him along a little slowly, get him into the weight room, put a little extra weight on him. I just, what do you got to lose on the third day of the draft? One more position to go, the tight ends. Are we all in agreement that Alabama's O.J. Howard will be the first tight end off the board? Yeah. Uh, I don't think there's a question. <laughs> I, I, I'll, I'll throw yeah, out I, some more stuff here on O.J. Howard real quick, if you don't mind. Um, go I mean, right ahead. I think he's the, the best tight end prospect we may have seen in the draft and maybe the cleanest. 2006 with Vernon Davis, the kind of athleticism that O.J. Howard brings to the table. I mean, Vernon Davis was selected sixth overall, and Howard may beat that mark when it's all said and done. I think Howard ends up in, like, the top ten between about three teams. I, I mean, I think his ceiling is number four to the Jacksonville Jaguars. But I, uh, I'll give you a little sneak peek of the mock I'm releasing on Fantasy Sharks tomorrow. I think he lands with the Panthers at eight. And I think that the Panthers go off the board, you know, the running back and they pass, and they go get a guy like Curtis Samuels in the second round that can add versatility to their offense. And I think that could make a more explosive offense for Cam and maybe even protect him better than just getting a big pounder like Fournette if he's there at eight. But I don't think Fournette will be there at eight. But don't be surprised if the Jags pull the trigger at number four because of Howard's clean medical slate and just the kind of impressive athlete that he is. I think I had him coming off at six. I agree. I don't think he's good. And I've noticed a lot of mocks have him falling a little bit farther than I expected. He's there. There are a couple tight ends. This is a nice – whereas last year's draft, there weren't really any tight ends that really jumped out of you, although Hunter Henry – wound up having a fine rookie season, although it took him a little while to kind of get his sea legs underneath. I mean, this year there are a few. It's just everything NFL teams want in the tight end position now. Long, athletic, field stretching, yeah. And uh, you'll get an argument on me. Howard's going to be the top guy. And then I, th- I think we'll see two go in the first round. I think Howard and Joe will both go in round one. Well, Mr. Lasky, since we all agree that Howard will be the number one tight end, who do you think will be the best value, the steal of the draft at the tight end position? And don't take my guy because I'm going to preach about my boy here in a minute. Yeah, well, I say I'm going to because uh, I think we talked about this uh, last week, but Bucky Hodges out of Virginia Tech. Uh, Virginia Tech does not throw the ball that often to the tight end position but he is uh, a beast for size and speed, and he's got a huge wingspan, and I think he can be a great asset, especially in the red zone. Uh, Bucky Hodges is very underrated right now. I think they got him going somewhere in the fourth or fifth round, 
I think he's going to far, far exceed those expectations. Bucky Hodges is my guy. You know, I had him as my late sleeper, but so you you kind of took my guy, but you didn't take the guy I really want to preach about. Mr. Collins, steal the draft at the tight end position. Uh, anybody that gets Jake Butt will have a player that plays over a decade in the NFL if he can recover appropriately from his injury. But he he's the second best tight end in this class for me because his willingness to be an inline tight end and block. I mean, he can be on the line, block. You can slide him out to the slot. I mean, if he recovers well, he'll be an excellent tight end for a very long time. I see him as more like a Jason Witten 2.0, um, which makes me think the track record of Jerry Jones and prospects with either like character question marks or injury history will gladly snatch him up in the second round if he's there to be the future tight end to take over after Witten. Yeah, and I think a lot with Bud is going to depend. He's going to appeal more to certain schemes. Then others, did you see what happened today? He signed an endorsement deal with Charmin. They showed up with a truck full of toilet paper for him because, you know, his name's Butt. That's awesome. <laughs> That's just nice. awesome. I'd love to see. Now, granted, he's from Michigan, so that doesn't necessarily appeal to me very much. But it's nice to see a kid entering the NFL making a couple bucks on the side because, heaven forbid, you pay kids when they're in college. So it's nice that he's already making a little side cabbage to start off his NFL career. I just think Dallas would be a great fit for him. There are just some guys that would be great fits in certain locales. Like if the Packers the Packers pick, what, 29th? If they take T.J. Watt, their fans are going to have palpitations and keel over. They'll be so happy to have the local yeah. kid and J.J. Watt's brother. And the Packers need outside linebacker help. So, I mean, it's one of the – we actually have an article being released tomorrow morning at Bleacher Report that every year before the draft, about a dozen of the NFL writers get together, and we make consensus expert predictions, which I did air quotes for expert, if you could see me, because I'm not real fond of that word. And that was T.J. Watt to the Packers was the pick that makes too much sense to actually happen. So I think, and I know you mentioned him earlier, I think the team that drafts T.J. Watt is going to be very happy. I think the the talk about his athleticism or lack thereof is overblown, much like his brother. He plays like his hair's on fire constantly. And whether it's as an outside linebacker in a 3-4, he might even be able to rush the passer a little bit with his hand in the dirt in the 4-3. I think he could be a great strong side linebacker for a 4-3 team. You know, He's not going to put up 20 sacks a season like his brother, but I think he's a guy who could get you six, eight, maybe even ten sacks and just be a force on that side against the run. So, of course, if you've heard me talk at all, you know I'm a little enamored with any football player whose last name's Watt. All hail JJ. It's magnificent. (laughs) 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 My value tight end is a kid who went to a very, very small school about an hour from where I am in Columbus. The pride of Ashland University. One of those ones you got to look up on that. <laughs> no, I got Adam Shaheen. <laughs> you want to talk? It's going to take Shaheen a little while, probably, to make the jump from Division Six or whatever Ashland is to the NFL. But he's six six, two hundred and seventy eight pounds. He looks like a tackle, and he can run. So I, when you talk about I they had a feature on him last night on the local news. Oh my goodness, that's a big boy. The 
You think Rob Gronkowski looks good? Wait till you see this kid standing next to a safety just looking down at him like, <laughs> you're cute, little man. Get off me. <laughs> so, and I expect he'll go sometime on day two, and it's going to need to be from a team who has a little bit of patience with him. I don't necessarily expect that Shaheen is going to be a guy who's going to make any great contributions for fantasy owners as a rookie, especially since tight ends more often than not don't. I know Hunter Henry snuck into tight end one. I think he was like 11th in fantasy points among tight ends last year, but most of that came over the second half of the season. But I just I love the kid, and I, it's everything I'm asking for. You have a freakishly big athletic tight end from a itty bitty tiny little school that's right down the road, and I wish him nothing but success. Dan, who do you think is the biggest reach of the draft at the tight end position? Um, I mean, Todd brought him up a little earlier about somebody he finds value. I'm just worried that somebody will reach for Bucky Hodges in, like, the second round. I'm hearing a lot of rumors that people really feel like he could be a Jordan Reed and an Eric Ebron. The problem is when you draft somebody in the second round, you want him to be able to, you know, help right away. And I think he's still got some development and trying to figure out what kind of position he really is. Um, people will be excited because maybe they can get the, the Jordan Reed, the Eric Ebron, sort of like tight end hybrid player. Uh, I mean, he needs some coaching and understanding what that means and, and how that works in an offense. Um, I think he might get plucked in that late second, early third, but, I mean, he needs some time to develop. I just hope a team doesn't reach for him and waits patiently and picks him up to, you know, help develop him a little bit longer later in the draft. Yeah, if my fans were talking about, we need to draft an Eric Ebron, I'd be like, why? I kind of like tight ends who can catch. Mr. Latsky, your reach tight end of the draft. Well, I, I've got Gerald Everett there. He's coming from a smaller school in South Alabama, and he had a nice career down there, but he's only 6'3". He's 239, so he's a little undersized. Uh, I think he's got to grow a little bit, and I think he's got to also learn the next level. He's got to play against some bigger bigger and stronger competition and learn how he's got to properly do that as far as blocking or to get open. I see a bigger learning curve for him, so I think it's going to take him a little bit longer before he finds success in the NFL. I have similar reservations about Evan Ingram. It's not that I don't like him. Very athletic young tight end. The problem is he's small for the position weight-wise. I think he's only about 235. And I'm seeing him, I've seen a couple mocks where he's being taken at the back end of the first round. And to me, that's just early. I mean, I don't, there's nothing against him as a player, but to me, he's more, back half of the second, front half of the third round kind of guy. I mean, I I agree with Dan. I'd probably take Jake Butt ahead of Evan Ingram just because I think I don't know that Ingram's going to make the quick contribution that some people expect him to. So it's, it's a good class for tight ends. I just had a hard time looking at a kid and looking at where he's projected to be drafted and saying to myself, okay, that kid's being – that's way too early. So I don't know that there are going to be any real – jaw-dropping reaches. There really haven't, I mean, at least in my opinion, the past three or four drafts, there just haven't been that many picks that really left my jaw on the floor. And even some of those, like I can remember back in, I think it was 2013, when the Cowboys took Travis Frederick in the first round, everybody just slammed. How can you take a center in the first round? He's a third-round prospect, maybe, might not even be that good. And two years later, he's arguably the best center in football, and no one's bagging on the pick anymore. So I learned to kind of curtail my criticism a little bit. Like, 
Dan said, there are teams that are very well known for thinking outside the box. And yes, draft mix, but we put a lot of thought and research and effort into mock drafts, and we watch tape just like scouts do, and et cetera, and so on. And so you never know what's going on inside a war room come draft day. And there are going to be picks that might seem surprising that really, when you step back and look at it, just aren't. You guys got a sleeper at the tight end position? And I think uh, we kind of touched them all. I think I, I've got one more I'll throw out there. I mean, I'm a big sucker for Big Ten tight ends. I mean, over the last few years, I've, I've really liked over the last two years, I mean, Nick Vanette, Jeff Auerman from Ohio State, they've either gotten injured or got stuck behind a deep roster. Um, but, I mean, Jesse James and C.J. Frederowitz, I mean, those are Big Ten tight ends who are making some nice contributions and are becoming, you know, big-time players on their, you know, respective teams. I must like seeing that physical type of play in the Big Ten that kind of translates to the NFL level where these tight ends are playing in line and they're getting after it play after play. Either they're going out to get their pass or they're going to, you know, take on a defensive end or a linebacker coming off the edge. Um, but I really like George Kittle um, from Iowa. Um, he, he may be more of an H-back type tight end. Uh, he's a little undersized. I, I see him like a, a Charles Clay or a Delaney Walker. They're kind of undersized. Um, in an NFL offense where they use their athletic ability to create mismatches, um, but also have the ability to use them in the running game as, as a blocking tight end on the perimeter. Yeah, I knew as soon as you start talking Big Ten, I was like, he's going to skittle. Yeah, he's a, he doesn't play small. Let's put it that way. He plays a lot bigger. And like he's, I think it is a, a product of kind of the, just the mentality of the Big Ten is maybe you get – Tight ends are a little more accustomed to getting their helmets dirty in the run game, and you know, depending on what an NFL team's looking for, that could be very appealing to some clubs. Well, we've run a little over, but we've covered everything in advance of the 2017 NFL draft that I was looking to cover. Mr. Collins, I greatly appreciate you taking the time to join us this evening. Why don't you let the listeners know what you've been working on at Fantasy Sharks? Hey, uh, I mean, I'll have a mark, uh, mock draft come out tomorrow morning, um, and I've got a couple articles up that kind of give you, you know, who are your sleepers, who are your underrated guys um, through all the offensive and defensive positions. I've got a list of guys who are likely to be drafted in the first round or at least what will be in most war rooms of what kind of players they're looking at. Um, and just um, be ready for a wild and crazy day tomorrow. No, one day we're going to have three days of madness. Mr. Lasky, what you got in the hopper? Well, obviously I'm going to be uh, writing about a the draft post view and coming out with my early rankings for the rookies. Uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of movement based upon who gets drafted where. Right now we all have kind of an idea, but I'm going to put mine down in pen and paper, and it'll be ready next week uh, at fantasysharks.com. Like I said, all we'll have some expert consensus predictions at Bleacher Report tomorrow for how we expect the NFL draft to turn out. And, of course, we'll be wrong, which is generally speaking, those sort of things always are. It's the thousands of mock drafts have been done, and everyone's put all kind of work into it. And then the real thing will happen, and you're lucky if maybe 10 of your picks actually can. That's just the way it goes. Once we get into the draft, uh, you follow me on Twitter at IDP Sharks. I'm sure I'll be working the draft for Bleach Report, doing some reaction stuff. So I'll be watching all of the festivities. I'm sure I'll have plenty of tweets about the different defensive players and what it means for their IDP value. Once we get past the draft, I'll look back 
at the players that I featured in the IDP draft preview series, which I believe mm-hmm. there were 15 total, and how their landing spots affect their fantasy value. Then it's you know it's time to start cranking out rankings. Before you know it, folks, we're already almost May. Before you know it, it's going to be the first of July, and we're going to be talking about fantasy drafts. They're just and dynasty drafts are going to be starting up that much sooner. It's it's already go time. Draft fever. I love it. It's going to be a good time in Philly. The Browns are not going to screw this up, he says, with absolutely no idea if that will actually happen. Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Thank you, folks, for listening. I think we're probably going to take next week off. I have a personal matter that I need to attend to, which might kind of gum up the works. If so, we will be back two weeks from now to kind of look back at the draft, you know, maybe some of the late free agency stuff, and start gearing up for another season of fantasy football. <laughs>